With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Good evening. Welcome to the episode of the Black Tuesday podcast. It is Monday. By the time you hear this, it will be Tuesday. As you know, one of our best, she's the editor of Toasted Cheese, Stephanie Lins. Good evening, Stephanie. How are you? Uh, I've been better, but I've been a lot worse. How are you doing? Same. Exactly all of the same there. <laughs> now, we, we need to talk about your home state again. <laughs> God. Ron DeSantis, the governor of no one's dreams but everyone's nightmares. Um, so he suspended all COVID restrictions, saying, quote, we are no longer in a state of emergency. Has he lost the last four or five synapses that he had lightly firing in his brain? Make this right. I'm thinking, you know, in, in Disney World, in Orlando, in the heart of Florida, um, there's different parts of it, like there's Adventureland, Tomorrowland, Liberty Square. There's Fantasyland. And I'm thinking that it's kind of a Fantasyland way of thinking. That, oh, no, everything's fine. It's it's the Kevin Bacon character in Animal House standing there saying, all is well, and chaos happening all around him. It, one of the larger states in the population, in the United States of the population, also one of the oldest states in the United States as far as demographic population. He's going to open the state up. And you know how people like to flock, as you mentioned, to Disney, to Bush Gardens, to various uh, gentlemen's clubs in South Beach, allegedly. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't really seem to be taking this with the gravity and respect as he should. At this point, is Ron DeSantis just throwing away the rest of his career? Like, is he content with being a one-term governor? It seems that way, and I'm wondering if it might not just be he simply doesn't want the job anymore, and then that will free him up to pursue national office. Um, I read that Charlie Crist, who was was a Florida governor already, that he's looking at becoming governor again and if they've already got a GOP governor that's been that has a track record of getting elected lined up behind DeSantis so that dyed in the wool Republicans can vote for him and uh, conservatives who don't agree with the Trumpishness of the modern Republican Party can vote for Charlie Crist then that's what's going to happen is they're just going to they'll, they'll re- the party will retain the governorship DeSantis will move on to national office, and Charlie Crist will slide back into the governor's seat. Because, like you said, he's not taking it seriously. There's no weight to the decisions that he makes. It's almost like, you know, he's he's simply making decisions based on who's putting money in his coffers and not uh, in the best interest of his uh, citizenry or the people who visit Florida. Because there's got to be a reckoning for Ron DeSantis as far as his political career. You said he has national aspirations, but there's no way in hell this man can be president. I'm surprised he was governor of Florida. I'm surprised he can tie his goddamn shoe right now. Yeah, it's it's a bubble for sure. You know, once he gets out of there, is I'm curious to know, is the base of the Republican Party strong enough to support somebody who's that far right who isn't Trump on a national level? I honestly think that if he ran for president and won their nomination, he would lose Florida. Mm-hmm. Do you think he might run for senator, like challenge Rubio or something? I think he might challenge Rubio, but Marco Rubio is kind of like the 
American Standard Toilet. He's an institution. Like, he's there, he gets shit on, and then, the, you know, he just sits in a corner, basically. <laughs> okay, that one made me laugh. Well, I, I mean, I had to take a moment. <laughs> I like that one. That was a good one. But, no, like, Marco Rubio is going to be senator from Florida for probably the rest of his career. He has tapped out of any type of pre- presidential aspirations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he seems to be flying under the radar. Like, he doesn't weigh in in any real way on national stuff anymore. You know, he'll throw up Bible verses all the time, and that's about it. Worst comes to worst, he will probably, because he's still, is he 50 yet? Is he 50? Yeah. I don't think so. I, I think he's maybe younger than I am. That's a good question. I could look it up while you talk. Uh, I think that with, if he is around our age, you know, he he might see himself, well, he can't be on TV because he has pretty much the personality of a wet tennis shoe. But <laughs> A wet Cuban heel. There you go. It's that Washington lobbyist money mm-hmm. that will probably draw him to D.C., and he will spend his time becoming rich beyond his wildest little five foot nine dreams. <laughs> he now, will be fifty at the end of this month. Look at that! You were exactly right. And it's funny because I didn't think he was fifty. Like, you know, but he yeah. hate may age people, but apparently, rampant world class stupidity doesn't. <laughs> But it's yeah. when you look at Rubio and you look at Florida politics, Florida is like three or four different countries rolled into one, mm-hmm. and it's intriguing. Their you're there. Their politics are intriguing to me because you have such a diverse group of people who just, I mean, Orlando is just straight up blue, mm-hmm. and North Florida is pretty much like South Alabama or South Georgia, basically. Mm-hmm. And then South Florida, it, North Florida is, and then you have like Tallahassee and Jacksonville that are a little bluer than that. Exactly, and then you have like the the Alligator Alley, which folks don't know is the road from was it Naples to Miami. Yeah. You go across the Okefenokee Swamp. I just like to say Okefenokee. I'm <laughs> I'm real northern, and when I can throw around like a southern you know location, I, I am right there. But it's one of those things that. It'll be interesting to watch. Now, as we make that smooth transition, because this is what we do, um, or at least we attempt smoothness, it is we need to credit Clarence Thomas. And in my 46, almost 47 years upon this earth, I never thought I'd say that. So Justice Thomas wrote in a dissent that he thinks a West Point candidate should be able to sue over being raped. Mm-hmm. Now, when did this dude who has been wrong since the day he emerged from a womb actually get this one right? I You sent me a link to it. I hadn't heard about it, and I went and read it. And I was like, I've got to be reading this wrong. So I went to another news source and read it. And I was like, I don't think so. So I went to Twitter to get people's takes, and it's a lot of... I never thought I'd agree with Thomas on anything. I never thought I'd agree with Thomas. Thomas is right. I can't believe it. And, yeah, I I don't know what, one, he's talking. And he's really, I guess, letting loose on the calls that they're using to do cases. And, two, I think he's right here. And the fact that he's the only one that said this is a little concerning to me. What he's saying is, well, he said in the dissent, that this former West Point cadet could have brought these claims if she were a civilian contractor employed by West Point, but because she's a student and therefore government employee, uh, she can't bring a claim. And he's talked before about how he wants to revisit this one ruling that um, stops federal employees from being able to sue the government when they're injured on the job. And it's something that he and Ginsburg wanted to talk about it's the Ferris doctrine f-e-r-e-s um basically they would have taken a case involving a navy lieutenant who gave birth at a naval hospital and she died due to a complication 
and her husband was barred from suing because of the doctrine, and Ginsburg wanted to to take that case, and so did Thomas. And I'm like, they agreed on something, and it was something like this? And he, what he said is that his concern is that by not taking these cases, we're cementing in this law that was wrong in the first place, that government employees should be able to sue the government when they're injured or their estates sue when they're killed um, while working for the government. And he cited um, Brown versus, versus the Board of Education and Plessy versus Ferguson and stuff like that. I mean, like, he's constrained on that level. And I'm like, I, <laughs> you know, does this make sense? Coming from Clarence Thomas, I thought this might have been like a Sotomayor thing, and to find out she's on the other side, I was just stunned. I was between stunned and surprised. I I just couldn't couldn't come up with the words, so I had to go looking for more. Like, what is this about? And found this other article about this previous case and Ginsburg being interested in it as well. And and I'm rewondering what other bad law cases they're refusing to revisit now. For me, when I read the article, I had three different thoughts. One positive, one negative, and one, well, one positive, one pessimistic or cynical, and one completely befuddled. The positive, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. The cynical, even once upon a time or once every so often, the sun will shine on a dog's ass. Two and three, the befuddled, I go with the traditional standard passed on my generations the fuck i mean it yeah he gets it right he literally got this right and sonia sotomayor who i have yeah. great esteem for justice Sotomayor, got this wrong i'm like yeah. how how'd you get this wrong like it's one of those i do it's clarence thomas he, got it yeah. right he did I, it's and to, to think that you would, who would have thought at any time since he first entered your consciousness, at one point you would say in here, like, I agree with Justice Thomas the and none of the other justices. The fourth of never? <laughs> but exactly. But I'm stunned by this, and I'm hoping that it'll, you know, that if they do expand the court or something to that effect, that we will see a lot of these bad laws rescinded or completely abolished when we come back from the break we will get into all sorts of conversation it is going to be one of those episodes folks you are listening to the black tuesday podcast on the fpc radio network i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We are back with the Black Tuesday podcast. Terrence Biggs, Stephanie Lenz, Stephanie. Now, as we move forward from the Clarence Thomas wildness, we have herd immunity because, or a lack of herd immunity, because apparently we live in the most developed yet one of the stupidest goddamn countries on earth when it comes to common sense. You have folks out here listening to Joe Rogan, probably high on buffalo taint and sweet potato fries, telling 21-year-olds who are healthy to not get the the vaccine because they're healthy. And you have people listening to other stupid people doing stupid things. 
as an American, as a fellow American, why is it so hard for us to do the right thing? Um, I, I wish I had a good answer for that. <laughs> we, we tend to not think of the needs of the many. We tend to think of the needs of the few. And I, I admit that I've tended a lot in my thinking toward, well, everyone in my household can, who can get vaccinated has been vaccinated. So if they don't want to take it, fuck them. That's or, you know, the better, the better part of me, like where Mr. Rogers would appeal to me would be like to consider my neighbor and to consider, you know, what I could do to help them not harm themselves and not harm each other and how to help us toward herd immunity. At the same time, it's like, well, you know, you can only lead people so far, you can only educate them so far if they don't want to listen to all the scientists and and see, you know, people you know, who are getting this vaccine. 200 million people, is that where we are? Mm-hmm. 200 million shots in arms? And, and we're doing okay. And they're still not believing it because they're going to believe Joe Rogan or Alex Jones or whatever Yahoo is spouting off on whatever platform today. What can I really do about that? Other, I mean, I've set the example. I've gotten my vaccine. I was lucky enough to be able to get it. Um, you know, it, there's a there's a point where the I kind of like have to let their free will take over and just be like, well, they don't want to get, they don't want to get it. But you know, maybe we should ship the vaccine they don't want to people who can do want it. Exactly. Also, exactly. You know, it's, it's not fair for us to be sitting on all this vaccine that no one wants when there are people in India who are, you know, filling up hospitals. I mean, you have that, you have the foolishness of, like I said, the Joe Rogans, the people like that, and these folks who have no scientific background. You're Elon Musk, who is a rich guy, who has that condescending look like he, you know, scratches himself and smells his fingers. This is These are the people that are the influencers, and they're influencing, you know, Fools and can't make, can't lead a horse to water. You can lead a horse to water and can't make them drink. You can't lead a dumbass to a vaccine and make them think because it is the worst. It is so easy. You sit there, you you get the vaccine, you get two shots. After two weeks, second shot, you are vaccinated. You might have to have a booster, but at least you're vaccinated. You're alive. There are over a half million Americans who won't get to enjoy another summer because of ineptitude from the president, from Congress, from the Senate. Those people, some of them were younger, some people were healthy, cut down, middle of their life. And I don't know about you, but every birthday I've had from now on, or I've had, I'm thankful. There are people who I knew I grew up with because of where we grew up. They didn't get to blow out too many candles. And every birthday, yes, the hair gets a little grayer, so I shave it. I mean, it gets a little harder to keep in shape because, well, I like food and it tastes fucking amazing. But yep. I'm thankful. And at least give your chance, give yourselves chances to get older. Like, yes, no one likes getting older. Like I said, I hate the, the gray hair, the creaky bones. But at least you're still in the game. A lot of people really aren't really there still. And it it will always bother me. But like you said, just got some, you let some people just do what they need to do and just kind of fall that way. Now, we while we get into music a little bit later, I want to talk about this vaccine equity at SoFi Stadium for a concert. Did you see this? I didn't see the concert, but I, I just read a little bit about it. I really want to see this Foo Fighters with... Um, Brian Johnson from ACDC doing Black and Back in Black. Now it was Jennifer Lopez, Eddie Vedder, the Foo Fighters, Jay Vaughan, her Ben Affleck, Chrissy Teigen annoys me, Jimmy Kimmel also annoys me, Sean Sean Penn also annoys me, David Letterman. Wow, it was like a cavalcade of assholery, but for good cause. So <laughs> instead of me shading all these people for their various levels of irritation. I will commend the fact that it's it's trying and it's you know it's it's needed it's 
as somebody who was vaccinated in the 70s and you saw the picture, you follow me on social media, you saw the picture my cousin sent of me rocking the fantastic three-piece polyester suit, complete with, complete with the most butterfly of collar, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we had vaccines. We had booster shots. And I'm sorry, but vaccines lead to adulthood. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't catch smallpox, yeah. and my parents never caught or never contracted polio. There were vaccines. And yeah. vaccines help people, and I'll never shade that. And it's one of those things that there are too many stupid people with too much access to information that seems like kind of ass backward, and they should really knock it off. I do want to talk about moving in and out of expensive cities. Now, you're in Pennsylvania. You have lived in Pennsylvania. You have lived in Florida. Can you explain to us in Colorado? Can you explain the difference in just, I know, first of all, Colorado is super expensive. Yeah, very. Like, how how to explain it? If you had a dollar in each place, oh, no, let me rephrase it. If you had $1,000 in each place, Okay. To spend on, I'm not going to say rent because there's no, there might be no rent in Colorado that is a thousand dollars. But <laughs> if you had to spend a thousand dollars on bills and car payment, all that stuff in Colorado, how much of that money would you have left after a month? Oh, absolutely zero. It, we um, we actually had moved to Colorado. Um, a friend of my husband's, they were in residency together. He went into um, emergency, well, not like emergency room, but like if you've got a strep throat or something and you can't get in to see your family practice doctor, you go to like a med clinic. And this guy was doing med clinic work there. And he's like, we're opening up a new location. We're so busy. Would you like to come? And at the time, it was just him and me. And we're like, yeah, let's do something different. Let's go west. And we went and um, you know, we looked and it was fine and it was different and we were excited to do something new. And then when you get in the day-to-dayness of it, um, it was just like, yeah, he's making a lot more money, and we're also spending a lot more money. Um, the amount of house that we got that we were renting, and thank God we just rented, um, we had like a 900-foot square house that we were paying more for than we would, than we were paying in mortgage for a 2,500-square-foot uh, house that we had just left that um, we bought. So our, our money like went we we didn't really save any money by moving to Colorado at all. In fact, it cost us um, in the long run to go there and to move and to move back. Um, and in Florida, now, I would guess that rents are way up, and, and unless you want to live, like, in some really close housing and, you know, maybe you deal without air conditioning and stuff like that, but um, I know that it's, the housing market has gotten more demanding. Like I, I look at Zillow all the time, architecture and floor plans and houses and stuff. It's one of my special interests, so I go in there for fun. And the housing prices in places I used to live are just kind of wild. The houses that I grew up in, it's like, wow, that that's not much house for a fair amount of money. And where I live in Pennsylvania, I live on the western side, and there's really good affordable housing here. I actually found a house in Altoona that's for sale for 20000 bucks, and it includes a lot next door that if you want to use it, you can um, use it to park on. Now, it's not a great house, and it's not, um, you know, like like a mansion or anything like that, but it's in a fair neighborhood, and it's a fixer-upper, but, um, you know, a three-picture house for 20000 bucks, and, and you, like, say, let's say you sink another 20000 into fixing it up. You've still just spent $40,000 on a house. And you you're living up. in a city where there's there are jobs and there's a hospital and there's a mall and there's a bookstore and there's fast food places and you know stuff like that. So um, there's a lot of people I see on the subreddits for uh, different small cities around my area, people saying, hey, I was researching the housing market and you guys have really low housing prices. What's the deal? And a lot of people saying there's just a lot of blight and people want to dump these houses. And... You know, at Johnstown, which is um, a little bit further away from me than Altoona is, um, it has the lowest, from what I understand, the lowest house prices for a 
small city in Pennsylvania, and you can get a lot of house there for $100,000, I'll tell you. But um, I was fascinated by this article that you're talking about um, in Bloomberg about how people moved around in the last year and a half. It's it's wild that, you know, it's not that people moved away. It's just they had to downsize and stay where they were for their jobs and stuff. And it's one of those things that I live in Wisconsin, and eight years ago you could buy a 1,100-square-foot, three-bedroom place for $72,000, Mm-hmm. Same thing will get you a one forty. The housing market has exploded here, and I live in Sheboygan, which is a, a bustling metropolis of dull. And they there were old factories that they have now turned into giant loft apartments, and a lot of apartments. This city is going crazy with luxury apartments. These mm-hmm. apartments start at fourteen hundred dollars a month. They are not being rented because no, they, no one's going to pay that. No one's going to pay fourteen hundred dollars in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. You can pay a thousand or nine hundred and live in Milwaukee, or live in Madison, or live somewhere where there's an actual Popeyes. And it's one of those things that they overplay their hand. And the best thing is to, when the housing bubble break or bursts, you better catch some of these jobs now. We got to talk about food, and that's one of my favorite topics because, like I said, I I am not shy with a fork and a spoon, as people can obviously see this. There's a place in New York called Eleven Madison Park. They reopen next month, and they're going to go vegan, completely vegan. And a lot of high-end restaurants are kind of parroting that. Is that a fad? I think so. I think we're heading there. At least more vegetarian. I think vegan would be very challenging and very expensive. Uh, like to do vegan substitutes, even just say for butter, and to have things turn out the right way is complicated. And there has to be a demand for it or they wouldn't do it. I mean, for me, it's... I respect those who have a vegan... You know, they're saying they're, this is uh, environmental... I respect those who actually truly embrace the vegan lifestyle without preaching it. It's like religion. Like, I know people who are religious. I'm cool with them. They don't try to convert me. Just like people who are vegan. I don't want to hear how pulverized cauliflower is supposed to taste like pizza crust. I fell for that fuckery once, and I'm not going to... I refuse to fall for the bland banana in the tailpipe. I was at a cookout once, and I was like, oh, this is a really generous thing for them to give us, like these tiny steaks, and cut into it, and took a big bite, and it was a portobello mushroom. So that's what disappointment tastes like, portobello You wanted to fight somebody. You wanted to fight somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was ready to go, and I was like, and I just like swallowed the bite in my mouth, and I was just like, well, now I just want steak. <laughs> I have these friends who try that, you know, like, oh, you know, I made, oh, like, people like, oh, I made a pizza. Oh. Like, I'm thinking it's like a, this is a Neapolitan snob. Now, anyone knows, I'm from Connecticut, I'm a pizza snob. The best pizza mm-hmm. in the world comes from New Haven, Connecticut, or in, in the United States, comes from New Haven, Connecticut. Neapolitan crust, dinner crust, perfect ingredient. So I'm like, oh, somebody, somebody here's like, oh, I made a Neapolitan pizza. I was so happy. I took a bite. And it was a cauliflower crust. Mm. Literally, I want this person to be my only pallbearer because they can let me down one more time. I just, (laughs) I was so hurt. It was the worst tasting crust. It was bland. It was rubbery. It was not dull. It was upsetting. I was hurt. I was angry. I wanted to curse somebody out, but I'm like, I need to swallow this. I'm like, I, I finished the piece because I, I've always believed that someone puts food in your plate. Yeah. Yeah, and I choked it down, and I, I immediately realized myself like, you know, I hate everybody and everything. <laughs> it was so bad. It and this the lie of, oh, it tastes. Ju- it probably tastes like what you had back home. The fuck it does. Are you high? <laughs> 
they have those um, cauliflower pizzas in the gluten-free section, in the frozen section. And when my son was newly diagnosed uh, with celiac disease, I said, do you want to try one of these pizzas? And he looked at the box, and he looked at me, and he says, it's a crust made out of cauliflower. Never buy one. <laughs> and it's like, i got to respect that. And, and the people every now and then to... I'll say to him, you want one of those? And he'll just be like, don't even. Don't, don't even joke about it. There are people who try the whole, you know, um, oh, I made vegan wings. Literally, I had a guy who I play softball against who is one of these preachy vegan types. And he's like, oh, pigs, I made vegan wings. I literally haven't said this out loud since I was forever. I want to slap him, like, literally, like, slap the taste out of his mouth because apparently it's bad taste. I was like, dude, those aren't wings. Those are manipulated pieces of cauliflower. When did cauliflower replace tofu? Exactly, and that shit is still bad. And if a vegan said, look, this is tofu or grilled tofu with barbecue sauce, fine. Buffalo tofu, fine. I'm cool with that. You're honest. Enough with this, like falsehood in advertising. It's one of those things that I'm a food I'm a food purist and you know I dislike false vegan advertising more than I dislike ketchup. Ooh. Cuz at least with ketchup you know what you're getting. With vegan you get fooled like, "Oh, this is my interpretation of fried chicken." Why is this long as tendon and string in the middle of this piece that's supposed to be a wing? Oh, that's just tofu. Or it's or it's a black bean burger. I've never had a black bean burger, have you? It's not bad, but I got fooled into it and I was pissed. Like, don't stop yeah. fooling me with food. Like it's a black bean burger. You can pretty much kiss my black bean ass on that one. It just <laughs> Well apparently this guy's former menu included raising celery root in pig's bladders. And, I, I, you know, I say this as someone coming from Scottish cuisine. I think I'd rather have the vegan meal than yeah. celery root raised in pig's bladders. In pig's bladders. And we yeah. we both have had haggis. Yes. And one, one of, of us, us likes loves it. it. And the other of us is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Haggis you need is to not... put ketchup on your haggis. Honestly, no. Like I would rather, I would rather you hit me with a ketchup bottle than eat the haggis with ketchup. I mean, I would rather mainline ketchup. <laughs> I ordered haggis flavored potato chips from Amazon UK right before COVID, and um, they, I was disappointed. They didn't taste like haggis. They just tasted like black pepper. So if you ever wanted black pepper flavored potato chips, and they were good potato chips, um, order the haggis flavored potato chips. You'll know where they are. They had steak and onion chips here. Have you ever had those? No. They're not. They're not bad. They're like they're super salty, and if you're really drunk and it's the only thing you have currently, they're not bad. They're gonna get you through the night. They're you know what? They're gonna satiate you. They're gonna hey you know I want something super salty. I I can't taste anything because the the tequila has decided to swim upstream against my brain. Not bad. Now. As we, as people know, we are, we're kind of like Statler and Waldorf. Honestly, that's us. Like, we are those people where we will critique anybody about anything. True. But one of the things that we can't critique and we agree on are Black Panther 2 or Wakanda Forever is they have a release date. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie. When I'm sure they'll have, like, a tribute to Chadwick Boseman and I got teary when they had the official Marvel tribute because it was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. They did right by that man. They did right by T'Challa. They did right by the character in the whole MCU. This is why DC will never get this correct. Because they would have had like Kevin Hart as a new Black Panther or some shit if he was like a, a DC comic. Yeah, there's a humanity in Marvel. There's a commonness, like, you know, 
Spider-Man is not a wealthy dude. He's a young guy with a job that barely pays any bills, and there he is, you know, out in space. You know, like uh, Nick Fury said to him in the one, bitch, please, you've been to space. <laughs> so, so they're regular people, and you look over at the DC pantheon, and I say this as a, as a lifelong Batman fan and Wonder Woman fan. You know, well, there you go. Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Superman. Three of those are gods, and one of them is a real rich dude who has a special interest in detective stuff. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not as relatable. I mean, most people, I think, can find someone in the Marvel Universe. They say, hey, I'm like that, or that reminds me of my friend, or, you know, what would I do in that situation? Whereas you watch a DC movie, and it's like, well, I could never participate in that battle. <laughs> yeah. Even with the secondary characters or the tertiary characters in Marvel, they are going to flesh out their stories. Like Moon Knight, people don't know Moon Knight is a superhero. Uh, guy named Mark Spector is the comic character, and if I get his backstory right, I think because it's been a couple of decades, but he deals with mental illness, mm-hmm. and they're going to make a mini series about his adventures and they're going to delve into the mental illness aspect like you said these are regular folks these are you know bruce banner is a doctor who mm-hmm. you know was picked on and tony stark yes he huh i was gonna say you can take hulk as a metaphor for addiction if you want mm-hmm. you know, and i mean you got charles charles xavier is a really smart guy but he's also in a wheelchair Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that everybody on the DC side is some freak of nature, like superhuman or fabulously wealthy person. Like they don't really have down part. They don't really have yeah. even the Joker. The Joker is in this just psychopath, but yeah. also has a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Like comes up, like comes up with money because he robs things, and it's just it's one of those things that it's weird to me. Now we like to get into music, and it's one of the things that we get into. And for the first time ever on the Black Tuesday podcast, I seeded a topic to my guest, and how whatever genre type of music you would like to delve into for the last part of this convo, floor is yeah, yours. I- I came up with something. Um, I, I'll i do it like a little intro so people can get um, oriented with what I'm just going to talk about, but I know you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, Twins New Trend had a new video come out this evening. They reacted to uh, Holding Back the Years by Simply Red. And, of course, they liked it. They like everything. But um, we've mentioned it before, and if people haven't looked it up, it's Twins the New Trend on YouTube. It's a set of twins. They're 21 they grew up listening to um, gospel and Christian rap, so pretty much all music is new to them, like from Nessun Dorma to Frank Sinatra to Michael Jackson, and they live in Gary, Indiana, and they were unfamiliar with the Jacksons. Um, so they react to stuff like Ice Ice Baby, and um, um, like, they, they, like I said, they did Nessun Dorma with Pavarotti, Jolene in the air tonight, stuff like that. So my question was that if you were going to suggest a few songs for the twins to hear for the first time, what do you think that they, would you like to see them react to? What do you think would bring you joy to share with them? That would bring them joy. Um, That they would enjoy and that you would also like to watch. Like when I watched them, well, it wasn't both of them, it was just the one. Um, one of them is shyer and more quiet, and the other one does more of the talking. And um, I'm not sure which twin is which, so I don't want to give either one of them a name. But um, one of them did Smells Like Teen Spirit by himself, and he was so moved by it that he almost or did come to tears when he listened to it. And it reminded me of how I felt the first time I heard a song like that. And it's fun to hear them react to, like, Jolene or something, or I Will Always Love You. And you remember kind of how you felt when you heard that song or as that song kind of grew on you. So I just thought of, you know, what would you kind of like to relive through them? Are they watching the video too or just listening to the song? 
if there's a video, sometimes they watch the video. Like for Sweet Dreams, they watch the video. But like for David Bowie's Fame, they just have the album cover. And when they do a Phil Collins song, <laughs> they always joke now like that Phil Collins, they said to him, Phil, what do you want for your album cover? Well, I'd like a giant picture of my head. <laughs> they're, they're kind of picking up on it. <laughs> oh, these are good questions. Um, and they're so cute, and they're so charming, and they're just, you, you'd love to sit down and listen to music with these two guys. They're so great. Sometimes they'll have a friend on, and, and they're just sweet and charming. I got a, I got a few. Uh, okay. A couple of, uh, one on a way left field, but Turn the Beat Around by Vicky Sue Robinson, because... Ooh. It's happy. Like, mm-hmm. it's a disco song, and I don't care what anybody says. I like me some disco because it's happy, and you know what? Yeah. It's, it makes you smile. Like, you know the song. Like, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that it, it brings joy. It was a happy time. It was a joyful time. And that song, not just because she's from Connecticut because, well, let's be honest, but <laughs> just the joy to it and just the vibe or if they had to watch the video it would be Little Red Corvette would be one of them because the solo when Prince look at the camera and they pan to Wendy the keyboard player and they go back and Prince you know kind of dances away from the camera does the mm-hmm. spin and the split the the guitar solo fit it fit it fit the mood it fit the moment and yeah. it's one of those things um if we stay along the same lines as Brent, Jungle Love at the time. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I the video. I always wanted to be Morris and not so much Jerome because I'm not holding a mirror for anybody. I'm. I think I deserve somebody <laughs> to hold a mirror for me. In life, there are people we know who are Jeromes. Be Morris. <laughs> In a world full of Jeromes, be a Morris. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, that's so good, and that's so true. That is such a fun, fun song. Because <laughs> it just makes you happy, and mm-hmm. if they want joy, I mean, I know that these who didn't sing the song, but "Girl, You Know Is True" is a happy song. I'm sorry, I don't care who the hell sang it. That shit makes you happy, and it it make <laughs> you gotta go for it, and you gotta. It's joy. It's Did things like noticed? that. Mm-hmm. Millie, the Millie Vanilli dance is almost the same as the dance for Jungle Love. Yes, kind of. It's it's <laughs> it's like, and you have to, you have to stand side by side with somebody, you know, and yep. you know, and kind of do it like you have to get it in sync and rhythm. But stuff like that, uh, if they go a little earlier, more than a feeling from Boston. Mm-hmm. Like it's happy. It's these two, the fact that they're from Gary, Indiana, and they have never heard of the Jackson Five, yeah, is astounding. But the yeah. fact and that they like it, so mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta give I guess another another one would be uh, "Cult of Personality" by Living Color, the opening, oh, yeah. and then how it goes from FDR speech right into the drums. It mm-hmm. it one of those things. Who? What would you think they should listen to? Oh, I, I get so much pleasure out of out of these guys. Um, well, the one here, I'm looking at their, their playlist on their main page for popular uploads. The first rock song, and it's just the one twin that he listened to, was Dream On by Aerosmith. I mean, I remember the first time I heard Dream On, I was an adult. I hadn't heard it growing up or anything. I didn't know what band it was. It was just like on a classic rock channel. It was playing, and I was driving in my car. I'm like, this is really good. What is this? I only knew Aerosmith from, like, the Walk This Way with Run DMC forward. I didn't know what his voice used to sound like, so it really blew my mind. Um, I don't think they have watched, and I could be really wrong on this, but if I could put them down in front of anything, I would have them watch Queen's performance at Live Aid. Yes, yes. Because I know that they like Bohemian Rhapsody, or at least, you know, the one, or I'm not sure how often they listen to it, but uh, I know they like it. And I think if they could see him, one, do Radio Gaga, and two, the way he had that crowd in the palm of his hand, um, it's pure charisma. And I think they're very charismatic. I think that they would like it, and I think that they get a lot of pleasure out of it. 
even somebody to love, like just the original video, like I, I can't tell you. People know I have a six-year-old and I have a four-year-old. My daughter loves Queen. She will sit there and she will just kind of just sit back and with her tablet and just kind of chill. And there's Queen in the background. And my son, he's a smartass who wants. He's like, Dad, sing. I really have had to hit that that uh, note in Somebody to Love at the end. Mm-hmm. I really thought I may have ruptured a pancreas. That wasn't even mine, but <laughs> it's a joy. It's joy. It's music for them is a joy. Things like that. Or even like Jump from Van Halen would be something different for them. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, that would be like some of that um, like mid-80s kind of rock stuff would be a lot of fun. Huge chorus. Like, it has to be the huge chorus. Speaking of huge choruses, what is the... I, got, I have a couple of music questions. For you. What is the most underrated huge chorus? Huge chorus? Mm-hmm. Like, something from, like, an 80s hair... Be- not hair metal, but, like, glam that if you if you hear it, there's, like, a whole bunch of people... Like, in your mind, you think of a whole bunch of people singing it at a concert. You, you know what just went in my head? And this is not my answer, but it just occurred to me. I forgot. I think... Didn't Kid Rock open the Grammys one year with Baba Tadawa with a mm. giant chorus? Yes. Or am I imagining that? No, you. it, it was that. Okay. Cause I, I, that's not my answer. <laughs> Kid Rock is never the answer unless the question is, um, what are you turning off? Um, but, yeah, that's that was a chorus. You know, I, I'm blanking. I, I keep thinking of I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... Yeah. They actually had like Lou Graham and Mick Jones. I can I can never think of Mick Jones' name. He he just gets forgotten about. But yeah, it's one of those things that it's up there. It's up there with uh, Living on a Prayer. Yes, which my kids call Squidward on a chair. If you haven't seen that drawing, go ahead and look that up. And it's just it's happy. And these kids deserve happiness. Let, let me ask you um, one like a last music question. This might be a little thought provoking. What one musician outside of Kurt Cobain? Because I know that that that, that would have been your answer. That <laughs> who have made have passed on early or way before their time. If they would have lived, would have put out constantly, constantly awesome material for the rest of their career. The first name that came to mind was Marvin Gaye. Um, he did a lot in the little time he had, but. I would have really liked to have seen him evolve and change, especially when that you know, 80s kind of stuff was coming around and kind of a, a mix-up with R&B getting mixed up with um, hip-hop and stuff like that. I would have liked to see what, what an artist like that could do. Um, I, a lot of uh, rock musicians died too young. Um, John Lennon was 40, but I think that he would have really embraced like electronic music and stuff like that. Um Hmm. Do you have some people in mind? I'm trying to think of more women. I would, honestly, like, Tina Marie would have been, yeah. I know she didn't die early, she died in her 50s, but it. I wouldn't see how definitely her career would have been, that would have been how her career would have changed if she would have put out more stuff. Uh, and But as far as young, Janis Joplin kind of had it for me. Like, it just, it was something about her voice. It, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't the most melodic, mm-hmm. it was a place of passion and kind of pain, and it worked, and it was gritty, and when she sang, you knew that you were getting everything you possibly could. Mm-hmm. One answer right. I would never do is Jim Morrison. I can't stand the doors. Yeah. Just... I got to go there, too. Yeah, and that made me think of, like, Amy Winehouse, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, along with Janis Joplin. Um, just people that, you know, it, it would have been nice to see what are they going to do next or what would they do in this new style, like someone who passed away at the beginning of something new. It, it's like, oh, what, what would that person have done if if they continued on to, you know, this, like someone who you know, might have been able to make music just sitting home with their computer. Like, I think that's why there, we had a lot of one-hit one wonders in the 80s is because, all you need was a synthesizer. 
and you could have a number one song. I mean, like Cars by Gary Newman, are you kidding me? It, it's it's a very basic song, and anybody can play it on a keyboard, and, and there it was. It didn't take a lot to, to get it up and get it out there. And I think that's what people are doing now with YouTube and stuff, is they're being their own PR agencies, and they're writing and composing their own stuff with computers and um, stuff like that. They don't need a lot of fancy instruments. All you really need is a guitar or a piano, and and you can do what what you can do. But think of somebody you know like um, like like a, I, know, I know I mentioned almost every podcast seems like Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. If she could have had, uh, if she could have been opened up to a wider audience, or if she could have been accepted by a wider audience, she'd have been unstoppable. I agree. Um, so no. That's you know some and that's another person that I would like to have the twins listen to as well. Listen to some of her stuff, especially Strange Fruit. I know you mentioned Marvin Gaye, and I have the deepest, most profound respect for Marvin Gaye, but I do have a bone to pick. So, yeah. when I was a kid, you know, me with hair and giant glasses and a big-ass afro, my parents had a record collection. Now, I'm flipping through it. There's like the Commodores. There's Al Green. Mm-hmm. There's Marvin Gaye. Huh. So, I remember being like eight years old, and there was like an old... It was like a, a 45. I'll go, go up to my brother Dexter. What kind of music is this? Play it. Parents aren't there. I'm like, what? what is this sexual healing? Whatever is this? And let's get it on. That was the other one. Mm-hmm. And years later, there is me when let, let's, let's Get It On came on in a restaurant. I was in a I was in a soul food place in Hartford and let's get it on came on the radio and I didn't think about it. Then there's me fast forward a couple years ago. I did the math. Let's get it on was it debuted in 1973. Mm-hmm. <sighs> um, yeah. Yeah. I was born in June of 1974. Mm-hmm. So you're a slow jam baby. I just snorted through my goddamn nose. I, I, yeah. And I, in my mind, like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. That was pretty much like when I hear that song now, I reflectively like shudder and just giggle because it's chances are, yeah. Also, speaking of chances are, Johnny Madison was also in that same record. So chances are, was right there too. Look at this. Apparently, my parents do. Yes. I'm looking now at a calendar. Tom Jones had number one song, She's a Lady, when I was conceived, so I'll accept that. Well, at least it's, it's like nice and pleasant, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, two weeks before that was the Osmonds, and I'm not accepting that. I mean, shit, look at Eugene and Patricia out here getting it, you know, pretty much to let's get it on. I'm like, really? Like, mm-hmm. I was your last child. You could have just had, like, like, like Tom Jones or something, like, kind or, like, you know, hell, I would even take Afternoon Delight. It's a lot calmer than Let's Get It On. Like, there's no nuance to it. Like, mm-hmm. pretty much, you know, quitting the grinning and dropping the linen right in the corner. No, no one wants to be, no. Oh. But I do respect Marvin Gaye because he's, you know, it's his rendition of the national anthem is only surpassed by Fergie's. You know what to say. I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, I really like Marvin Gaye. Oh, my favorite rendition of the National Anthem is probably Jimi Hendrix and, <laughs> and then Fergie. You Have you ever heard that one? On me. Uh, Fergie's National Anthem. Oh, I've heard it. And I know she wasn't, but I picture her with where she had wet her pants on stage or sweated through or whatever it was. That look is what I picture when I hear, and I put this in quotes, the National Anthem. But she sang it. Was it a basketball game? Yes, it was at a, it was a uh, basketball game, and I remember it was the the Golden State Warriors were playing, and one of the players' name is Draymond Green. And when Fergie hits the wrong note, the camera pans to his face, and he kind of tilts his head to the side. 
and makes a face like yeah. some you know somebody you know served him uh, cauliflower pizza, and he just had this like the like half a smirk like oh oh no oh no, and they trolled her. The team trolled her for the longest time until her husband at the time, Josh Dumel decided to sit there and say something to like Draymond Green. Oh, you know, just he. He like defended it, and they roasted his ass. Like, dude, you can't defend that. The only thing less defensible than Fergie's rendition of the national anthem, I, I need you and the folks at home to Google this or YouTube it. Fergie and Slash, her rendition of "Sweet Child of Mine." Oh no! I literally wanted to buy a new laptop so as I can throw it out of the window. I was so, oh god. There's a point where she's singing. Literally, her her singing range is flat. Like, it's flat, and it just it's meandering. And then she's trying to hit all the Axl Rose notes, and in the middle of Slash doing her solo, she's like replete in leather pants, which there's no I have no issue with that. Um, but just. He's playing guitar. He's like playing a solo. She is grinding all up on him, and he he gives her a look like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Maybe she was itchy. Uh, from her waist down. Yeah, you know what I mean when I say itchy. I hear you. It's <laughs> just, but no, she was like dancing, and he's just like giving her a look, and then. She like killed you at the end of the song trying to sing it like Axel. It was bad. It, it was like Miley Cyrus singing Joan Jett bad. Or Miley Cyrus singing any rock song bad. And when you have the Miley Cyrus fans, oh, she could sing any rock song. I would rather be the animals that Bob Barker would talk about being spayed or neutered than listen to Miley Cyrus band. Like honestly, like throw me up on the table and just snip it. I don't give a fuck. No. Just Miley Cyrus's backyard concert of Jolene is really good. She's a good country singer. Which is it's great, but but she wanders into like she wandered into A C D C and I don't even like A C D C and she wandered in, into that genre. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, you are still Hannah Montana who was swinging like a, a giant wrecking ball. Your dad is Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. Shut up. Rock is not your thing, and it's just—it's one of those things that the only person I can actually say—not only, but one of the few people that I've seen who can do both. I'm about to say this out loud. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift and Def Leppard did a—they have it at Crossroads, and oh, yeah? it was—it's on YouTube. She does their songs, and they do some of hers. Honestly, it was kind of good. It wasn't as bad as I thought, and it was actually okay. Like, she put energy into it. Like, when they did a photograph, mm-hmm. it kind of it fit. Like, she kind of got out of her, like, angsty vibe. And, I mean, I may have been staring at the auburn-haired violinist that she uses, but it's just saying, this is what it, no, but it's with, but her singing, Taylor Swift's singing was absolutely on, and I'll give her credit. Or uh, Jennifer Nettles did a version of Living on a Prayer with John Bon Jovi. It uh, actually wasn't bad. Like, it really was, like, it it'll never be as good as the original but it showed that if you try, she gave a legitimate effort. It was one of those things. That one question turned into like 15. It did. <laughs> it's like a whole second section of the episode. <laughs> the musical interlude brought to you by whatever the hell we wanted to be brought by. Now, if someone wanted to interact with you on social media, how would they? The best way to do that is over on Twitter. and My handle is Edenza, E-D-E-N-Z-A. Stephanie Lenz, thank you so much for joining us on the Black Tuesday podcast. My pleasure. This has been another episode of the Black Tuesday podcast. We had fun. We 
talked a lot about a lot of different things. Normally I say be good to yourselves, be good to each other, but I'll say this instead. We all go through whatever ups and downs in life. Just remember one thing. Not, not just be good to yourself, but actually be better to yourself. Good night.